Ragbag presents I Like the Sound, a celebration of the sound of things. I like the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. A celebration of the sound of things. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. I like the sound of a simmering stew and the large waft of steam as you pull off the pan lid. I like the sound of a pigeon's feather falling out mid-flight. I like the sound cotton wool makes when you squeeze it between your fingers. I like the sound of a sunken ice cream van still playing its tune from the depths of the ocean. I like the sound of jelly being prodded with a stick. I like the sound of two people conversing about two entirely different subjects. I like the sound of a breadstick duel. I like the sound of the karate kick against the side of the fridge that somehow stops that buzzing noise. I like the sound of ice melting slowly. I like the sound of the fountain that is in the, the common area of where I live. It's like this, these two streets that are connected by a little parklet and there's a little fountain out there. And, you know, when our windows are open, you can hear that fountain. It's just the sound of water, you know, the sound of water kind of running through the fountain. And it's very calming and it's soothing. And birds also fly to the fountain and, and they do some chirping over there too. So it's this nice little, just a little nature hub in the middle of the city, in the middle of San Francisco. It's nice. This is from an article on the Library of Congress website called Why Do We Yawn? Not all yawns are the same. Most of us yawn and stretch, also known as pandiculation. When we wake up or go to bed, yawn when we are bored or when we need to pop our ears after travelling in high altitudes and even yawn just because we saw someone else yawn. The act of yawning, or oscitation, occurs in almost all vertebrates. Even birds and fish exhibit a form of mouth gaping similar to yawning. In humans, yawning can start as early as 20 weeks after conception. Yawn is a coordinated movement of the thoracic muscles in the chest, diaphragm, larynx in the throat and palate in the mouth. By yawning we help distribute surfactant, 
or wetting agent to coat the alveoli, that's the tiny air sacs, in the lungs. Generally speaking, we cannot yawn on command. It is theorized that yawning is a semi-voluntary action and partly a reflex controlled by neurotransmitters in the hypothalamus of the brain. It is also associated with increased levels of neurotransmitters, neuropeptide proteins and certain hormones. There are numerous theories on why we yawn and scientists have yet to come to any consensus. One of the first theories for yawning can be traced back to Hippocrates, the father of medicine, who hypothesized that yawning precedes a fever and is a way to remove bad air from the lungs. Based on modern evidence, however, it seems unlikely that yawning serves as a function of the respiratory system. By the 17th and 18th centuries, scientists were challenging the Hippocratic theories of yawning. These new theories focused on the circulatory system, suggesting that yawning causes an increase in blood pressure, heart rate and oxygen in the blood, which in turn improves motor function and alertness. This might explain why many athletes yawn before playing their respective sports. Yet, current tests have shown that the heart rate, sweating or brain's electrical activity do not increase after yawning. Today, scientists continue to research the functions of yawning. Pioneer researcher on contagious behaviour, Dr. Robert Provine, suggests that yawning is associated with the change of a behavioural state, wakefulness to sleep, sleep to wakefulness, boredom to alertness. And more recent studies have suggested that yawning might be connected to brain temperature. When the brain becomes warmer than the homeostatic or stable temperature, we might yawn to cool the brain. It is theorised that cooler blood from the body floods into the brain and the warm blood circulates out through the jugular vein. Dr. Andrew Gallup and Omar Tonzai Eldakar discovered that outside temperature might also affect the amount of yawning as well. If the outside temperature is warmer than normal, then the organism yawns less frequently. A possible explanation of this is that because the air outside is useless to the organism, it does not need to suck in more oxygen through yawning. However, other tests showed that the amount of yawning increased when both outside temperature and the temperature of the brain increased. There are also sociological and evolutionary biological based explanations. Yawning might be linked to our circadian rhythms, biological activity related to a 24-hour cycle, as a signal to go to bed or as a waking ritual. It might be a way to transmit boredom or feelings of stress to the social group. Yawning can also be contagious. Contagious yawning comes from witnessing someone or thinking about another person yawning. According to studies, 42-55% to 55 of human adults will yawn during or after watching a videotape of another person repeatedly yawning. <sighs> Evolutionary psychologist Gordon Gallup best describes contagious yawning as 
a primitive empathic mechanism related to mental state attribution. Yawning activates the motor imitation, empathy and social behaviour parts of the brain. Neurons in the brain fire, causing you to feel what that person is experiencing and commanding you to perform the action, even if you do not actually feel the need. It's interesting what you what you can hear even when you're not even like when there's nothing going on even right whether it's the sound of your breathing or if you're me and you're in a city you know there's a siren that's happening right now oh there um, you go yeah yeah so it's uh, that's um i started doing some some meditation tapes and one of my favorites is this one where he just asks you to to listen what are the sounds that you hear far away? What are the sounds you could? Oh, I have another sound. Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, I like the sound of the cars going by on our freeway, the freeway near my house. Um, it sounds almost like the waves on the beach. If you forget that it's a freeway actually, just how oh, the cars yeah. kind of come and go, just this, this sort of the din of them driving by yeah okay yeah is that a constant thing throughout the day it is it's we live about a block and a half from one of the first exits in san francisco so we're very close to a, a big freeway and uh there's there's cars driving by all the time if there's traffic you know they don't move quite you can't hear them as much but yeah just hearing the cars in the city actually that's actually one of the quotes and or one of the quotes a lyric in one of our songs never change in the cars speeding by i can hear the sea in the quiet of the night it is calling me in the cars I like the sound of a tall person's head colliding with a paper lampshade. I like the sound of a long period of silence being broken with the words, Hang on a minute! I like the sound of a moth singeing its wings on a hot light bulb. That sounded cruel. Don't worry about the moth, it'll be okay. They have very short memories. I like the sound of my own voice when it's played backwards. Still 
let's talk about the history of the alarm clock. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato was said to possess a large water clock with an unspecified alarm system similar to the sound of a water organ. He used it at night, possibly for signalling the beginning of his lectures at dawn. The Hellenistic engineer and inventor Tesibius fitted his clepsydras with dial and pointer for indicating the time and added elaborate alarm systems which could be made to drop pebbles on a gong or blow trumpets by forcing bell jars down into water and taking the compressed air through a beating reed at preset times. The late Roman statesman Cassiodorus advocated in his rule book for monastic life the water clock as a useful alarm for what he called the soldiers of Christ. The Christian rhetorician Procopius described in detail prior to AD 529 a complex public striking clock in his hometown Gaza which featured an hourly gong and figures moving mechanically day and night. In China, a striking clock was devised by the Buddhist monk and inventor Yai Ming. He was born in 683 AD. The Chinese engineers Zhang Sichuan and Su Song integrated striking clock mechanisms in astronomical clocks in the 10th and 11th centuries respectively. A striking clock outside of China was the water-powered clock tower near the Omayyad Mosque in Damascus, Syria, which struck once every hour. It was constructed by the Arab engineer al Qaisarani in 1154. In 1235, an early monumental water-powered alarm clock that announced the appointed hours of prayer and the time, both by day and by night, was completed in the entrance hall of the Mustan Syria Madrasa in Baghdad. From the 14th century, some clock towers in Western Europe were also capable of chiming at a fixed time every day. The earliest of these was described by the Florentine writer Dante Alighieri in 1319. The most famous original striking clock tower still standing is possibly the one in St. Mark's Clock Tower in St. Mark's Square, Venice. The St. Mark's clock was assembled in 1493 by the famous clockmaker Giancarlo Raineri from Reggio Emilia, where his father, Giancarlo Raineri, had already constructed another famous device in 1481. 
1497, Simone Campanato moulded the great bell which was put on the top of the tower where it was alternatively beaten by the Dieu More, two moors, two bronze statues handling a hammer. User-accessible mechanical alarm clocks date back to at least 15th century Europe. These early alarm clocks had a ring of holes in the clock dial and were set by placing a pin in the appropriate hole. The first American alarm clock was created in 1787 by Levi Hutchins in Concord, New Hampshire. This device he made only for himself, however, and it only rang at 4am in order to wake him for his job. The French inventor Antoine Redier was the first to patent an adjustable mechanical alarm clock in 1847. Alarm clocks like almost all other consumer goods in the United States, seized production in the spring of 1942 as the factories which made them were converted over to war work during World War II. But they were one of the first consumer items to resume manufacture for civilian use in November 1944. By that time, a critical shortage of alarm clocks had developed due to older clocks wearing out or breaking down. Workers were late for, or missed completely, their scheduled shifts in jobs critical to the war effort. In a pooling arrangement overseen by the Office of Price Administration, several clock companies were allowed to start producing new clocks, some of which were continuations of pre-war designs and some of which were new designs thus becoming among the first post-war consumer goods to be made before the war had even ended. A knocker-up, sometimes known as a knocker-upper, was a profession in Britain and Ireland that started during and lasted well into the Industrial Revolution, where alarm clocks were neither cheap nor reliable. A knocker-up's job was to rouse sleeping people so they could get to work on time. By the 1940s and 50s, the profession had died out, although it still continued in some pockets of industrial England until the early 1970s. The knocker-up used a baton or a short heavy stick to knock on the client's doors or a long and light stick often made of bamboo to reach windows on higher floors. In return, the knocker-up would be paid a few pence a week. The knocker-up would not leave a client's window until they were sure the client had been awoken. There were large numbers of people carrying out the job, especially in larger industrial towns such as Manchester. Generally, the job was done by elderly men and women but sometimes police constables supplemented their pay by performing the task during early morning patrols. In Ferry Hill, County Durham, miners' houses had slate boards set into their outside walls onto which the miners would write their shift details in chalk 
so that the colliery employed knocker-up could wake them at the correct time. These boards were known as knocky-up boards or wake-up slates. Here is the late Joe Stead singing a song written by Mike Canavan. It's called The Knocker-Up Man. Cobble streets are cold and damp. The knocker up a man is creeping, tap tapping on each window pane to keep the world from sleeping. He's sing hey thee up and stir thee sound. The factory hooters blowing. Time to leave your nice warm beds. It's off to work, you're going. I like the sound of the word miscellaneous. I like the sound of an old man from a landlocked nation seeing the sea for the first time. I like the sound of a tie being hastily ripped off. I like the sound of the words gin rummy being pronounced in a variety of different accents. I like the sound of that first bubble rising up when you pull the plug out of the bath. I Like the Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. A complete list of source material can be found in the show notes. Special thanks to Leanne Kelly from the band New Spell, who you heard earlier on talking about the sound of traffic and so on. You also heard a little snatch of a New Spell song. There's lots more where that came from. Check out the link to their Bandcamp page in the show notes. Also, check out Leanne's appearance on my other podcast, Ragbag. It's a great episode. And it's a great podcast all around. Music, comedy, storytelling, something for everyone. My website is frankburton.co.uk. I currently have three books available to buy. The short story collection, A History of Sarcasm, the novel 100, and the first in the Ragbag series of novels, Everything I Am. The second one will be out very soon. The audiobook version is available on Bandcamp. Please do share this show around, subscribe, give us a rating and review. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Follow us. Let us know what you like the sound of. My email address is in the show notes too. I look forward to hearing from you directly. <laughs>